G'day Sports by Fry fans, thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Sports by Fry podcast. Coming at you with another Fantasy Friday, a little bit uh, later than usual. This one's technically being recorded and published on Saturday morning. I uh, was busy watching the Big Bash and uh, the Wildcats lose in heartbreaking fashion last night. But I'm back, Fantasy Friday, doing a lap around the AFL NBA and touching on some NFL stuff as well. I am going to be doing a big Sunday sit down with JLo tomorrow and long time listeners of the podcast will know that we did a bit of a Q&A session um, towards the back end of some of the episodes so we're going to bring that back so if you've got a question for the podcast AFL, NBA, NFL or sport related in any context, can be anything if you want, um, shoot that through on the Sports by Fright social media and JLo and I will address those questions later but without further ado Let's dive into today's fantasy oriented podcast. I know that about 85% of you are here for the AFL fantasy stuff, so that's where I'm going to start today's episode. I'm going to condense these Fantasy Fridays down a little bit. So I'm going to start looking at a little bit um, of stuff to prep you for the start of the season. At the moment, we're still over, I think it's 47-ish days till the season starts. So still ages. We're going to get some pre-season action coming in in the, it's not the Amy Community Series. Maybe it is. Can't remember. But regardless, I'm going to look at a different line each week for the next month. So I'm going to start with the forwards. I teased this last week and ran out of time, but I'm going to dive through the majority of the popular forwards, some value guys, the big names, the rookies, and just kind of give my two cents on about 15 to 20 forward players. The most selected forward at the moment, the top of the Wazza, is Patrick Dangerfield, which still surprised me to see him sitting as the most owned bloke after I wrote a Dream Team Talk article on him. The news broke the next week, or news broke that week, that he was going to be potentially hampered for the rest of the preseason, dealing with a groin issue that has really plagued him all the way back to the 2020 Grand Finals. So Dangerfield's injury woes do scare me a little bit. I had him penciled in as my first forward and was pretty happy to just leave him sitting there. But now I'm not so certain. He is, did dip a little bit in production last year. He is priced around 101. So there's certainly some meat on the bone if you think he can go better. But I don't know if I trust his body to hold up. He's had elite consistency 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 throughout his AFL career to date but you know something's got to give eventually he's 30 30 now he's played nearly 260 games so I wouldn't be surprised maybe Danger will still play 15 to 17 games but if this groin slash injury issue is as bad as they're making it out to be then I don't know if you can justify picking him in your starting team one bloke you might want to replace him with instead is Steel Sidebottom. He's going to cost you nearly 850k, break even of 111, makes him the most expensive forward. And I'll be honest, I don't know why people aren't talking about him a lot, because there's no reason why Sidey can't vie for that number one forward title. Again, it is a little bit too much that coaches would probably want to cough up for someone to just slot into their forward line, but Sidebottom isn't a forward. He plays as a pure midfielder, whether it's on the wing, in the guts. He does pinch hit, I guess, across half forward at times and hit the scoreboard. But if I was classifying him, I'd call him a midfielder. So this is a bit of a bargain, I think, for fantasy coaches, being able to put sidebottom in your forward line. We might be treated to some other mid-forwards, like there was talk of maybe Taranto or Fife getting it at the start of the year. But 
I don't know if those guys are going to obviously get it throughout the season, but of the dudes who are available at the moment, you can make the case that Sidebottom is the favourite for the number one forward spot. So if you're keen on him, I don't really blame you for going down that path. There are a couple of other big dogs at the top of the food chain. Josh Junkley is another one that intrigues me. I'm not huge on the idea of starting with him, but given his history, he's definitely underpriced. The big red flag with Dunkley is obviously what type of role he's going to play this year. He's got a break-even of 97, so there's every chance he can push up to about 105 and be a top three, top four forward, but we don't really know how he's going to be deployed now that Adam Trelaw is going to chew up some minutes in that dog's midfield. I don't think, personally, it's going to hamper him a lot, and there's a little bit made about his role that could maybe be over-exaggerated. I think the Bulldogs have been one of the best fantasy sides for years when it comes to scoring fantasy points. And I think Lockie Hunter was one of the top blokes on average last year, or maybe in total. Oh, no, it wasn't in total points because he missed time. Um, Jackie McRae, obviously, he's been a star for years. Bontempelli doesn't get the respect he deserves as a fantasy player. Trelaw, obviously, now in that midfield as well. Throw in the likes of Bailey Smith, uh, Mitch Wallace, Tom Levatore. There's plenty of other dudes there that start, and I don't think there'll be too much issue trying to feed points through the dogs, but yeah, I don't know. I'm not huge on the idea of starting with Dunkley. I'm, if I'm not going to be picking Dangerfield, I might want to go down a different route. Dane Zorko is someone that you might want to potentially consider, break even of 99, but his yo-yo scoring means I think I'll just wait and see on him. He did average over 100 last year, equated 100, so it'll be interesting to see what Zorko dishes up. He could thrive in Brisbane's midfield again. He's a dude that often hits the scoreboard and kind of fills up the box score with some massive numbers. One other dude who I'm really keen on is Rowan Marshall, though. Now, his ruck forward status is a huge versatile plus for fantasy coaches. Paddy Ryder, the bloke that came over to kind of be his number two ruck support, doesn't have the greatest track record health-wise. And now, with reduced interchanges, we could see maybe if Ryder goes out, Max King pinch hit in the ruck or something like that. But... I think Marshall will go back to being back like in 2019, a really dominant ruckman for St Kilda as their number one ruck. He doesn't offer a ton of value. Average 96 last year, priced at 738 grand now. But again, that's nearly 100 grand cheaper than someone like Steel Sidebottom. So if you don't think there's going to be too much difference between the two, Rowan Marshall is someone that I definitely have my eye on. Dustin Martin obviously has to be spoken about every time you're talking about the forwards. Again, probably won't be picked by a lot of coaches, at least to start the year. Does offer a great loophole captain choice as the uh, first game of the year, but I don't think I'll be going down the dusty train. Isaac Heaney is uh, another bloke technically listed near the top of the forwards. He only has a break-even of 80, which actually surprised me. It's 603 grand, and his average last year was 88. So technically, before he went down... In those six games, he outperformed what his break-even's going to be. He probably will go back up to 85, 90, something of the sorts, but I still don't think that Heaney will finish the year as a top six forward, so there's a lot of roller coasters you associate with Isaac Heaney's scores, and he's burnt me before, so he's the captain of my uh, never-again list, so I won't be picking Heaney, but I can see why you might be keen to do so. Quickly burning through some of the other value forward options. Every man, woman, and dog has Tom Phillips locked into their team at the moment. I'm assuming. I do anyway. In the 44 games that Phillips played before 2020 season rolled in, so this is in 2018 and 19 combined, he went at an average of 93, which is pretty impressive considering that when he was playing with uh, Collingwood, he wasn't you know, the star of the show or anything like that, but he still 
found a way to get it done. Now he's priced smack bang on 80 at 600 grand, and I think he can push those numbers back up to the 90s. I wouldn't be surprised if 93 is almost bang on what he averages this year. If you were leaning down that route and you were considering Phillips, or if you're not considering Phillips, I think you should definitely plug him in. 100 grand cheaper, you can consider Jai Caldwell, obviously made his way over to the Bombers from the Giants last year, but break even of 66, maybe he can push that up towards 80. It's not unprecedented, but again, there's some big dogs in that Melbourne midfield, so I don't know how much Jai Caldwell's actually gonna see time close to the pill. We saw Andrew McGrath kind of break out last year. Zach Merritt isn't really an inside type player, but he demands a lot of the footy. Dylan Scheel as well is underrated, especially in draft in my opinion. So I don't know if he'll be able to thrive in the Don's midfield group, which might limit his scoring just a bit. Couple of non-traditional types. We don't usually like to talk about key forwards in AFL fantasy, but Lance Franklin, I think, is too cheap to not consider. Before he got injured in 2019, he had three straight seasons averaging 90. I don't expect him to go back to those lofty numbers, but he could definitely push his average around the 80 mark, especially if he kicks some big bags and has some massive outings. And he's priced with a break even of 50 at the moment. So I understand the worries around his body and any preseason interruption will probably draw a line through him. If he's named round one though, I'll be locking Buddy into my team and I won't be thinking twice. Joe Danaher and Jeremy Cameron are two other key forwards that are garnering a lot of interest at the moment. Break even of 57 for Joey Danaher and 64 for Jezza Cam. I don't know if I love either of those dudes. There was a report that dropped yesterday about how Chris Fagan said Joey Danaher has hardly put a foot wrong this preseason and Jeremy Cameron, obviously, the traders dropped their Geelong podcast the other day and they were talking about how he could thrive in that forward line, get a lot of easy handballs. Tom Hawkins loves a goal assist, so... Loop that over the top and Jezakam kicks five and there's a massive score for him. But I think out of those two, if I had to pick one, I'd probably lean slightly towards Danaher. But obviously he's got a couple of other injury issues through the past that have really put a line through him from a fantasy perspective and helped hampered him from getting onto the court, but under the court, onto the field. But I don't really love either of them. One dude in Brit speaking with sticking with Brisbane is uh, Mackay Cockatoo. He's a popular ad at the moment, and he only has a break even in the 30s. I can't really justify snagging him, but if he has a good role this preseason and he starts round one on fire and gets named into their first 22, then I could see a lot of people keen on the idea of picking Mackay Cockatoo. Hasn't played footy really for the last two years. Obviously, injury interruptions and then COVID derailed his chances of making a comeback, but. At Brisbane, they seem to always, I don't know what's in the water up there, but they seem to fix any injury issues that people have. So Danaher and Cockatoo could prove to be two big fantasy factors this year. Lightning quick through the rookies. The most picked forward rookie at the moment, Jamara Hagen. I've kind of pledged my allegiance to him a couple of times already on the Sportsby pod. He's priced at around 270 grand, which I think, considering you probably average in the 60 to 65 range, some people are thinking it'll be closer to the 50s and low 50s, but... I think Eugle Hagen will surprise and get more of the footy in his hands than some people think. Might not impact the scoreboard as much, but if he does and he kicks, you know, three or four goals here and there, that gives him a 30, potentially 30 point boost. So I like the looks of Eugle Hagen. Braden Campbell and Archie Perkins are the two big names that I want to talk about though. Again, already been addressed on this podcast and if either of them or both of them are named in round one, I think you have to start with them on your field. They've got versatile mid-forward status and even though it's considered taboo to kind of 
put a mid-forward bloke in your midfield to start the season. Having that handy link is something that I've relished in the last couple of years. I can't remember off the top of my head who it was that I started there last year, but I did pick Perk, uh, do pick Perkins and Campbell at the moment. They're both sitting in my side. Residing on my bench at the moment, Miles Bergman from the Port Adelaide Power and Will Kelly from Collingwood. Two other young dudes who should get an opportunity pretty early. Kelly's been generating a lot of buzz, particularly this preseason. And if they're playing, they should be on your bench. But we'll have to wait and see a little bit closer to the season start before we realise who we're going to plug into the forward line and bench spots. Quickly sticking with AFL Fantasy, I did just drop my big Max Gorn Dream Team Talk article on the DT Talk site. So make sure you check that out, the deck of DT I think I've done three now. I've got four more up my sleeve, and Maxi Gorn's an interesting one. So I'll talk a little bit about him and the Rucks next week, I reckon. But I want to transition into some basketball talk. Quickly whizzing around the NBA, talking about some dudes you should add, drop, and watch. First bloke that you should definitely add if you're in need of some scoring punch is Wayne Ellington. He was 18.7% owned at the moment, and that's already gone up 10% in the last 24 hours. So. Get this, in his last seven games, Ellington's nearly averaged 19 points for the Pistons, and he's been pretty bloody consistent throughout that stretch as well. He's burying nearly six threes a game, although it doesn't help that the Pistons only have a two and five record, but as long as Ellington keeps getting high playing time and shoots a pretty good clip from deep, he's not going to offer you a lot in other categories, so if you may be in a head-to-head category league, I could see why you'd want to pause, but... Wayne Ellington's someone that I reckon should be in a lot more teams and will probably only see his ownership continue to trend upwards. Jeff Green from Brooklyn, he's the next bloke I've got. This isn't a lock by any means. I mean, he's in less than 10% of teams, 9.6 to be exact, but he scored double digits in eight straight games and until they add a bit of centre depth, I saw, I think they signed Norvell Pell, who was at the um, 76ers from memory maybe last year, if not the year before, but... They don't really, after trading Jared Allen away, have someone to plug into that spot behind DeAndre Jordan. They're obviously going to be a candidate in the buyout market, and Brooklyn may still make some tweaks. But even with Jeff Green going back to the bench, he's been shooting 50-40-90 from the field since Harden got there. Probably won't maintain those averages, but while he's hot and before Brooklyn adds more centres to their list, I wouldn't blame you for adding Jeff Green if you're in a deeper league. Speaking of centres, one that I think has to be owned from a fantasy perspective, regardless of what type of league you're in, is Nas Reed. With Carl Anthony Towns out at the moment, Nas Reed has been dominating. In the last week, he's put up 15 points, 7 rebounds and 3 blocks a game, which doesn't sound astronomical, but he's had some big games in there as well. Obviously, Cat's COVID concerns are probably what's going to keep Nas Reed from breaking through for the whole season, but... Carl Anthony Towns still doesn't have a return date at the moment, so I'd be steering towards picking Nas Reed and playing him pretty safely until Cat does return. All right, that was very quick, talking about some guys to add. Now I'm going to give you some guys who I think you should drop. First one is Willie B. Buckets of the Denver Nuggets, Will Barton. He's in now just under 30% of teams, so some NBA fantasy coaches have started to sever ties with him. And it has no coincidence that uh, as soon as Michael Porter Jr.'s come back, his production has dipped. He hasn't really been lighting it up, Will Barton, but even if he continues to start for the team, J-Lo, obviously a big Nuggets fan, said something to me the other day that kind of resonated that Mike Malone isn't really concerned about who's starting. He's worried about who's closing the games. And we saw uh, a blanket who they're playing. But the other night when Porter dropped 30, 
he starred towards the end of that game and was really relishing the opportunity to have the ball in his hands. So I can only see his minutes and his production going up, which obviously is probably going to hamper Barton's production. He might even get dealt if he can't mesh and fit into this system. I think that Denver would obviously be trying to keep that continuity. But yeah, from a fantasy perspective, Will Barton doesn't interest me anymore. Another shooting guard who started pretty hot but has definitely come back to earth in Alec Burks is the next cab off the rank. 38% owned at the moment, and he has had ankle issues throughout the majority of the season so far, but the three games before he got hurt, he was averaging 20.3 points and shooting nearly 53%, so a lot of people were bummed when he went out. I think he missed about a dozen straight games off the top of my head, but since he's come back, he's only shooting 31% from the floor and averaging 11.3 points. They're actually, the Knicks are playing the Cavs right now, so... I would maybe give Alec Burks one more chance. He is probable to play tonight and does have a an sore ankle, so they're still not uh, completely over those ankle issues. I can understand why you'd want to keep him. He's got some decent box scores that look all right, but if there's a better option out there, I consider I can see why people want to drop Alex Burks. The last drop candidate is another New York Nick in Obi Toppin, the rookie Injured himself in his first game, and he's currently only averaging 12, 5, and 3 on the season. 23% ownership at the moment, but he's going to be buried behind Julius Randle in the depth chart now. We thought he might have popped and got a lot of minutes when the Knicks drafted him. There was all this talk of him making a push for Rookie of the Year, etc. But he hasn't played more than 17 minutes in any contest at the moment, so there is a little bit of promise there. And if you're in a dynasty league, I can see why you'd want to hold him, but... 99% of people will be playing yearly fantasy leagues at the moment in the NBA, and I think it's fair to go and drop Toppin and find a replacement. Transitioning into the watch candidates, if you want to drop Obi Toppin and you need some depth in the front court, you might want to consider one of the Boston Celtics. Unfortunately, I don't think Jason Tatum is up for grabs, but the next three power forwards in Boston's list do interest me. All three guys that I'm about to talk about have power forward center status, so... There is a little bit of versatility there, and I think that these guys can be a good source of production. Daniel Tice is the most popular one of the bunch, just at 17.6% ownership, and I think I'd rank him ahead of the other guys. He shoots an unreal clip from three. He's at the moment, oh, from the field as well, sorry. He's actually averaging a block and nearly five boards at the moment. Not great numbers, that's hence why you can see his ownership's only around the 17% mark, but he's playing less minutes than Tristan Thompson and doing much more with it. Thompson obviously came over to the Celtics in the offseason. He's in under 10% of teams at 9.9% ownership, only averaging six and eight and a half rebounds, really not getting it done from an offensive standpoint. So I don't really like Tristan Thompson at the moment fantasy-wise. The big dude who I'm on, and I've talked about him a little bit before, is Robert Time Lord Williams now. He leads the league at the moment in offensive rebounding percentage, which is pretty absurd. And his per 36 numbers, he'd be putting up about 14 points and 14 rebounds. So he hasn't been getting a lot of minutes at the moment, currently just averaging 15 on the season. But he is shooting 72% from the field. So again, it depends a little bit on your makeup of your league. He's always good for a block and a steal, maybe even a couple of blocks here and there, and about six boards, six points. So not the greatest source of production. However, anytime he gets a couple more minutes than usual, Time Lord rarely wastes them. And I can only see, as the season goes on, him potentially growing in role. I don't think that they'll be slipping um, and dropping him back production-wise and giving him less minutes. 15 might be his ceiling, but 
I think that Time Lord is deserves more minutes, and Boston hopefully will give them to him. If they don't, I'd still rank Tice ahead of Williams and Thompson as the best Boston front court option at the moment. Go ahead and add Daniel Tice if you want, but the real one that intrigues me is Robert Williams. Another intriguing player from the New York Knicks is Emmanuel Quickly. Now, he's had some up and down games throughout his NBA season so far, the New York Knicks rookie, just in 14% of teams at the moment. But I'll have a very close eye on him when they play the Cavs today. He's averaged 16.5 points in the games where he's got to play over 20 minutes. And if you consider the fact that that includes an ugly 1 for 10 shooting night where he only scored 3 points, then quickly is getting it done when he does get more minutes. Obviously, the hindrance to that is that Alfred Payton has been getting the bulk of them at the moment, and he's starting for New York, and I can't really see that changing anytime soon. However, if this is a long season, you know, if Payton goes down or quickly starts to show a bit more in limited minutes, there's no reason why Tibbs won't play him a little bit more. I think you can probably afford to keep watching him and not add him right away, but he has had some big performances, so if quickly starts to quickly ramp up his production, I'd jump on him ASAP. Last bloke on the watch list is Kevin Love, who is still sitting on ice for the Cleveland Cavaliers. We've already gone through the three to four week timetable that we thought he was originally going to be out with a calf, and there's still no update on what's going to happen. Personally, I think it'll be very interesting to see what happens with this Cavs front court. There's talk of Andre Drummond seeking a buyout because his contract ends at the end of the year. Obviously, Jarrett Allen got traded there, so now he throws another spanner into the mix. Larry Nance is a very versatile fantasy player. So we don't really know how Kevin Love will mesh into the Cavs lineup if slash when he comes back. We might even see Kevin Love get dealt in a salary dump type of thing situation and he'll end up somewhere else. But he's only in 42% of teams at the moment, so chances are... If you've got an IR spot in your league, someone's just stashed him in there. But if not, Kevin Love's worth probably putting on your bench in the hopes of getting some news in the next week or so about his return to the court. That's all I've got from an NBA perspective. I quickly want to talk about some of the NFL quarterbacks. One of the articles I'm working on looks at a big quarterback carousel throughout the league because we might have some massive, massive flux of change at the quarterback position in the 2021 offseason. Adam Schefter reported that nearly, roughly, 18 NFL teams aren't locked at quarterback. So what does that mean from a fantasy perspective? I did a little bit of digging just to see where quarterbacks were drafted last year compared to where they finished in scoring. Obviously, you've got guys like Mahomes and Russell Wilson who finished near the top of each, but Josh Allen was actually the ninth drafted quarterback, and he finished first in fantasy scoring. On the other end of the scale, Lamar Jackson was the second highest drafted quarterback, and he finished 10th in scoring. Guys like Matty Ryan, Drew Brees, Dak Prescott, Carson Wentz, all of them were drafted in the top 12 quarterbacks as well. And I don't know, I think Ryan might have been the only one that finished in the top 12. Granted, Brees and Prescott missed plenty of time, but you can always wait a little bit on your quarterback in NFL drafts. I took Aaron Rodgers, I think he was the 8th or ninth quarterback in our league and finished the year as a top five scorer. So I can see why a lot of people usually wait on quarterbacks, unless you're jumping on Mahomes or something like that. But what does this potential quarterback change mean for a lot of dudes? The two biggest names that I'm going to touch on are Matty Stafford and Deshaun Watson. Sticking with Stafford first, his pretty much career has been wasted in Detroit. It's a harsh thing to say, but I don't know if the top of my head, but I don't think he's made the playoffs. If not, he hasn't had a lengthy stay there. 
Where does he land? The Indianapolis Colts are shaping up as the big situation for him to go and thrive in. I don't love the fit in Indianapolis, I'll be really honest, but I can see with Philip Rivers retiring why they'd want to get a heady veteran in there to really try and help the Colts capture and make the most of their... They've got a pretty good roster. Who am I talking about? Who am I kidding? But really captivate that premierships or Super Bowl window and really make the next couple of seasons count. I really want to see him, honestly, though, on the San Francisco 49ers. Jimmy Garoppolo is another dude whose his place on the Niners roster is not set in stone, so we could see him included in a package and he'd go back to Detroit. But Kyle Shanahan is a wicked offensive mind running the Niners, and I think if you were able to get a stable quarterback like Matthew Stafford in there, they got some pretty good weapons. Debo Samuel is a wide receiver I like. Obviously, George Kittle has a claim as the best tight end in the league. So Stafford on the Niners, the Colts, I can see it. But if he does end up on one of those two teams, I think I would consider him as a top 12 draftable quarterback. Deshaun Watson, the next bloke I'm tangenting to, he is obviously a bona fide fantasy superstar. He finished the NFL season with the most passing yards. And just this week, the news broke that he has requested a trade. Obviously, Houston are digging their heels in and they really don't want to trade Watson. But... It seems like it's only a matter of time now. They're probably going to demand a haul back for Deshaun, but his landing spot probably does limit his fantasy production. That is, of course, if he goes to one of the two rumoured places, the New York Jets or the Miami Dolphins. I don't really love the supporting cast that they have around either of those quarterbacks. We saw Ryan Fitzpatrick have a couple of moments with the Dolphins, and obviously Sam Darnold kind of shut the bed for the Jets this year, so... If Deshaun lands on either of those two rosters, that's a bit of a red flag for me. The organisation will then have to obviously address that situation and give him some more weapons to work with and address their offensive lines. But I think if Deshaun Watson lands on the Jets or the Dolphins, you can probably afford to let him slide in fantasy drafts. It might burn you and he might, regardless of who he's playing with, go off and be another top four or five scoring quarterback. But again, given the depth at the quarterback position and the amount of flux that we're probably going to go through and the amount of randomness and the change that's going to happen, I think you can afford to wait if Watson becomes a Jet or a Dolphin. Personally, as a uh, Carolina Panther fan, I'd love to see them throw their hat into the Deshaun Watson sweepstakes, but probably a bit of a pipe dream. And there you have it. There's another Fantasy Friday in the books. Regular scheduled programming will be back next week. It'll be dropping actually on Friday. But as I said at the lead-off, J-Lo and I are sitting down tomorrow on Sunday. So shoot your questions through. We'll be talking basketball and AFL fantasy for a change. I do have a couple of other articles in the work for next week. Over the weekend, I'm doing the realistic goals for each AFL squad. I'll be doing a Super Bowl preview as well. And I talked about that. NFL quarterback article that I might drop as well. But thanks for listening to this episode. Make sure you leave a rating and review. Subscribe for the next couple that are in the works. Until next time, 